Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast on negotiation. Today uh, with a very special guest, Kelly Jensen, a Danish-American, uh, who will join us, who has joined us to talk about uh, the fundamentals, the essentials, and of course, his new book, uh, which has the same title. Kel, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. With pleasure. So uh, for those of you guys, uh, there are a couple of my uh, bachelor students uh, will be joining our um, our today's podcast live. Uh, so for you guys, uh, Kelt is an absolute expert in the area of negotiation. Uh, he is uh, he's been uh, um, uh, he's dealt with this topic for two almost three decades. Kelt uh, mm -hmm. uh, has written many books. Uh, is an is a very successful author, best selling author. A professor teaches at many universities and based in California. Cal, did I forget anything? Mm, no, you 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 got the main part. <laughs> alrighty, alrighty, Cal. So let's start with uh, with the essentials. Yeah, uh, if you were to extract three most important aspects, uh, essentials, fundamentals of uh, of negotiation, if you were to Suppose you know you, you probably offer lots of trainings, multiple days. Squeeze them into three things. What would they be? Uh, well, that's a that's a tough question that you're starting with, uh, Remy, because I think that you know first and foremost we could spend days just talking about this topic here, and uh, I hope we can make it exciting and and, and enjoyable as well. Uh, let me just take one step back. When um, I got the idea with McGraw-Hill, my publisher, to do this book, I haven't actually done a book since 2017, and I thought I was done with it, but I had to talk with McGraw-Hill, and he said, we need to create a book about the essentials in negotiation. And I was sitting thinking there for a couple of weeks, what is essentials in negotiation? Because there's so many different topics, and actually I find most of them to be essentials. Um, you know, if you really start thinking about it, you have everything from communication to nonverbal language to techniques to mathematical to, well, you know the whole drill. So there's actually so many things. And when you want to jam all of that into one book in 280 pages, that is actually somewhat of a challenge. Now, in my world, if I should name three things, strategy is one of them. And Funny enough, a lot of my colleagues out in the world is not really spending too much time on a strategy. And in my work, I run a consultancy company as well on this side, and we advise both uh, major corporations and government on negotiations. And I always start off with a new client asking them, could I please have a look at your official negotiation strategy in your organization? And the answer to that question, uh, Remy, is typically silence. And then some of them goes, uh, uh, because they have no idea what I'm talking about. And then I asked them, do you have a communication strategy? Then they acknowledge they have that. And then I said, do you have a go-to-market strategy? They got that. Do you have a resource and development strategy? Do you have this strategy? Oh, they have got all these strategies because they went to business school. So they learned to do all of these strategies, right? But the negotiation strategy is non-existing. So back to your question, three things. One of them is we need to have a negotiation strategy. And in the book, by the way, we dive into what is a negotiation strategy. I can't tell anybody what is the right strategy for them, but I can offer them the tools so they can create a strategy. That's that's one thing. The second thing that is really important to me is trust. And uh, to me, all business is human. That means that I don't believe that organizations are negotiating with each other. I don't believe that uh, companies or governments are negotiating with each other. I believe that it is people that are negotiating with each other. 
So that means if you replace one individual in an organization with another one, you might be more or less successful in your negotiation. You might fail or you may succeed. True. And one of the key things when we talk about relationship between people is like ability and trust, right? Um, so it's all down to uh, trust. And, and when I started talking about trust many years ago, I remember in the beginning, people looking at me thinking, you are a bit crazy. That's fluffy thing, trust. You know, it's not very tangible. It's not measurable. So I actually spent the last 10, 12, 15 years just finding a way to capitalize trust because you can't get the awareness of the C-suite in any organization if you can't make something, if you can't capitalize it. So trust, and we have actually renamed it into trust currency. We just took the two names, trust and currency, put them together because trust is a monetized variable that you have to focus on. So that would be the, the second one. And the last one, the third one, if I should name three, is a concept um, that I coined that is necroeconomics. And necroeconomics is really just negotiation economics. And to summarize very quickly, um, it is a mathematical model that has been awarded um, that basically uh, identified that we have an unrealized value of up to 42% in most commercial negotiation. So that means if you and I were sitting here negotiating, Remy, right now, and we reach an agreement, we shake hands, we sign the contract, we're very happy, and then we leave the meeting, we may have, without knowing it, left up to 42% on the table, um, which is necroeconomics, the asymmetric value between your cost and my value and my cost and your value. That was a very long answer to your question, Remy, but that's basically the three things. So strategy, trust, and necroeconomics. And necroeconomics, yes. Uh, I'm uh, very curious about the dependence uh, between strategy and necroeconomics. Um, to what extent do they... Um... Uh, do they influence each other and to mm. what extent uh, one um, is a precondition for the other? A great question. They are very dependent on each other. Now, um, when we talk strategy, we, we could divide strategy into, as you know as well, into positional negotiation or collaborative negotiation. Um, uh, positional uh, negotiation, or, or we could call it a zero-sum negotiation, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, means that I win at your expense or you win at my expense. When we're talking about utilizing necroeconomics, that is basically impossible in a positional orientated negotiation because it requires transparency, openness, honesty, and trust. You know, we, we cannot work efficiently with necroeconomics if we don't have these four things right. in place. So one of the things we need to do in order to be successful, capitalizing that up to 42% is we actually have to negotiate on how to negotiate before we start negotiating. I know it sounds weird, but if we just uh, meet each other for the first time and we just dive straight into negotiation, um, you might perceive negotiation like playing chess and I may perceive negotiation like playing tennis. True. Um, and it's going to be a really fun negotiation, isn't it? Because I'm sitting there with a the racket, just throwing it around in the air and you're sitting there moving your chess pieces around. And communication, obviously, you can imagine, is not working very well. So we need to identify first and foremost, are we going to negotiate like playing chess or like playing tennis, just to give you a picture on that. So basically, we have to address, are we going to dive into zero-sum or collaborative negotiation? And right. obviously, you need to put some more words on that, all more explained in the book as well. But uh, you need to do that and create and agree on that strategy before you can move into necroeconomics. So it's a wonderful question because... The strategy choice in being successful in necroeconomics is, is essential. Kelt, um, thank you so much for your answer. Uh, we apparently have hit the spot uh, because we're already getting getting the first questions, follow-up questions to, um, uh, to your answers. So, Shehab, um, all the best uh, here. Best greetings uh, to Cairo and uh, Alexandria, to Egypt. 
So an organization should have a generic negotiation strategy, question mark, or does it exist for a special negotiation case by case? What do you think, Cal? That is a great question. Um, let, let me explain it this way. Um, uh, a model I created is called the SAM model, strategy assessment metrics. And it basically measure your counterpart, the importance of the counterpart to you and how important you are to, to the counterpart. So, so, so look at this quadrant where we have a horizontal line and a vertical line. Now, the horizontal line is how important you are to your counterpart. The vertical line explains how important the counterpart might be to you. So um, it's pretty easy. If both parties identify they're equally important to each other, we end up on the top right corner. Um, if we are in the top right corner, the strategy is collaboration. End of story. Not using collaboration up there is, and I'm sorry to be very direct, unintelligent, dash stupid. Because if you're working long term, if you're depending on each other and you're important for each other, why on earth are you working in a zero sum uh, approach. And, and by the way, uh, that happens all the time, despite that you are important to each other and you're working long term. On the other hand, if you're in a commodity market where you are not important to the counterpart and the, important, uh, the counterpart is not important to you, there might be hundreds of suppliers and hundreds of customers and you're just buying a standard product. Um, well, perhaps you should purposely choose to be in a serious sum game. So I'm not sitting here preaching that everything around the world should be collaborative all the time. What I'm saying is you have to be conscious what negotiation you are in, what your counterpart is, and how your counterpart views you. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Remy, you probably experienced that too. There are too many negotiators who just stumble into a negotiation and accidentally end up in collaboration or zero-sum. They haven't actually thought through the strategy. What is it we need to do? What is the market like? What is the counterpart? What position are we in? Blah, 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 and all those things. So just getting back to... To the question here, which is a wonderful question, the organization in general uh, from C-suite level should identify a strategy. What is it we want to do as an organization? Way too often I see when I step into an organization that procurement is doing zero sum and sales love collaboration. Uh, and they're just acting like that completely night and day. And the organization have to identify a strategy. But having said that, of course, you have to break that strategy down to market uh, individual negotiation. So you should have an overall strategy, but you should also have a plan B and C and D. So how do you want to act in, in, in different locations? But every single individual in the organization needs to know what is our official negotiation strategy. Being trained in that, understand that, and work with those tools uh, accordingly. Thank you so much, Kelt. Uh, we got two more questions or uh, many more questions on strategy and dependence uh, dependency between uh, trust and ego economics. Uh, here we go. Joanna, Kelt, where can we re read more about uh, Nego economics? That, that almost sounds like a, a planned question that is sponsored because I have a it's new not. book that is coming out. <laughs> yes, um, Nego economics, Google it first and foremost. There's a lot of free stuff out there. Uh, both YouTube have lots of video explaining Nego economics. Uh, just Google the term. You can read a lot about it if you want it for free. And uh, negotiation essentials have a whole chapter just dedicated to how to work with uh, with Nico economics. Great, uh, and we already got some praise for Nico economics from uh, from Eleni from Greece, yes, uh, who claims that it had changed uh, her perspective. All right, uh, uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on with some of the questions that we've planned for today, and that is your book begins uh, with a discussion on which is extremely close to my heart. Uh, discussion on greatness in negotiation. Right. Yes. Uh, and 
another unfair question from me. I will ask you to summarize it, right? Uh, probably you wrote 10, 20 pages on greatness in negotiation. And then this, right. uh, uh, this guy asked me to summarize it in, uh, again, three main uh, characteristics or three main traits of great negotiators. Uh, but would you take a shot at it? Yeah, sure. I, I, I can try. And, and again, it's, 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 a, it's a dangerous minefield to get into because uh, who am I to define what is greatness in negotiation? I mean, you know, there, there are different ways, but I tried. Uh, if I should define a great negotiator, um, it is one who is capable and competent in listening. Uh, key thing. You uh, really need to be able to listen. And, and when I say that, you know, everybody always nod their head and said, oh, yes, listening is very important. Um, but what I often get is that people are not really, really listening. They are listening so they can reply. So when you ask the question, I already start thinking about what should my reply be to, to Remy's question instead of actually listening to what you're saying. So give you, let, let me give you a quick example. If we're negotiating and you come to me and say, I would like to change delivery time by two weeks, then as a human being, I will often start thinking, am I able to do that? Will it cost me anything? Don't I want to do that? Should I ask for something in return? And all of that is really, sorry for me, it's really BS because instead I should counter ask, I should counter that question with another question saying, what is the value to you, Remy, if we move that delivery time? Because this is really listening. I have to listen between the lines, between the words. What is it you're really saying? And when you're asking for something, you're only asking for something because it has a value to you. That's the only reason we do commercial negotiation because there's a value. Now, if I am a good partnership negotiator, which is what how we define uh, working in a very collaborative negotiation mode, if I'm in partnership and being a great negotiator, uh, I can identify myself as a great negotiator if I leave that negotiation knowing your value uh, by changing that delivery time. If I leave that negotiation, I have no clue if you have a value and have no clue about what that value might be. I have failed as a great negotiator. So um, th think, about, think about it this way. Um, if the counterpart is saying something, replace the sound of the words with the sound of a cash register. Because uh, you only voice something in a negotiation if you have if you have an interest. So right. say something. We would like to change terms of payment, delivery time, increase um, efficiency level, whatever. It means something for you. So a great negotiator. One of the many many things is you listen. You really listen, and you ask questions. Another thing I would say, just to summarize that big question you're asking me here, is knowing your variables. And a variable is obviously everything that is negotiable. So it could be uh, quality, delivery time, warranty, blah, blah, blah. You have hundreds and hundreds of variables. And um, just to sum it up, I would say in general, I'm generalizing, um, majority of negotiators, organizations and governments are negotiating on too few variables. They're negotiating on the usual suspects, like the typical five, six, seven, eight, and that's it. Same Maybe. here. I've, uh, this is also my experience, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we were sitting with a, with a major energy corporation recently, and they were negotiating on nine commercial variables. So we did a brainstorming session with them. We were sitting down for a day, and we ended up with 72 variables um, where they implemented 26 of them and improved their profit quite, quite uh, uh, to, to a quite high level. So what I'm just saying is that a great negotiator is not only able to identify more variables, they're also able to... Uh, quantify the value of that variable. And we need to be able to do that as well. Um, sorry, just to throw in another example, but I'm quite often working with, with procurement, right? 
and I had a procurement officer recently who said, we would like to get a longer line of credit from our supplier. And I said, well, perhaps that's a good idea. What is the financial benefit for you by doing that? And then he looked at me and said, I have no idea. And then I said, why, why on earth do you want to do it then? Because he said, that would be cool. And I said, but are you stupid or what? Because just extending that line of credit is going to hurt your counterpart. And if his cost of capital is higher than your cost of capital, it doesn't make sense. Um, so back to what I said, obviously, this wasn't a great negotiator because then you're thinking things through and you're going to ask questions instead. Um, I'm going to wrap it up quickly because, again, it was a, a big question you were asking about what, what defines a great negotiator. Preparation goes without saying. Knowing how to prepare and prepare is part of it. And uh, then having a strategy. Um, so if I should just list four or five things, that would be the the four or five things that would clearly identify a great uh, a great one in negotiation compared to a less great negotiator. Thank you, Kelt. We're going to come back to the topic of uh, of greatness at the end of our chat. This is always uh, always my last question to all my guests. Uh, but already now, a quick commercial break to those of you guys who are listening and uh, are passionate about negotiation. We have a negotiation competition coming up for professionals. Uh, and you are more than welcome to register. Um, uh, uh, if you're interested, go to www.professionals.denegotiationchallenge.org. And already now I can tell you that we have, this year we will have uh, teams from almost on all continents, uh, still waiting for Africa, still waiting for Africa, but we have Americas, uh, we have Europe, we have Asia, we have Australia already. And, and uh, we so much look forward to um, uh, having you guys with us. Uh, don't be afraid. This is necessary on the path to mastery. If you're interested to become, uh, in becoming great negotiators, you need to be able to systematically compare your skills uh, with others. So end of the commercial break. Let's move on to your next chapter. And your next chapter is on <laughs> trust. Mm -hmm. uh, Yep. Trust currency, trust, the importance. You've already outlined that it's, uh, it belongs to um, um, the most, the fundamentals, the, the essentials of negotiation. And I agree. We already had our first session with our students where we discussed what it is and, uh, and why is it important. Uh, uh, I'd love them to hear it from you, Kelt. Yes? Mm -hmm. What are the most effective trust-building strategies? Um, I'm happy to share that in a second. Let me just explain for a second why trust is important and why trust is actually uh, a, a very a very hardcore, tangible thing. We know for a fact that if trust is high in any kind of collaboration, our transaction cost will actually go down and our profit will increase. And opposite, if trust is low, transaction cost will go up and profit will decline. So um, let, let me just once again emphasize trust is a tangible thing. It is, is, it, it is something we can, we can monetize and it has a value in negotiation. So it's not only a fluffy, fluffy thing because it should be there because it's nice. It actually is something that makes negotiators more successful. Yes. Now, how, how do you do that? Well, one, one way you don't do it is walking into a conference room and going up to you, uh, Rema, um, pulling out my hand and say, Rema, I would love trust, transparency, honesty, and openness in our negotiation. And then you shake my hands and say, deal. Um, that's not the way to do it because obviously we can't verbally uh, increase trust. Trust is coming from actions, right? Having right. said that, though, we often recommend that we actually put trust on the agenda. So you might have an agenda who's who, um, do we have the mandate, 
what is the variable we want to negotiate, when are we supposed to end, and then have an item called trust as well. And some people I meet around the world is actually telling me that you can't do that. You know, it, trust is almost a, 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 a area of, of taboo. We can't talk about trust. And I said, certainly we can, and, and we should. We should actually emphasize trust. We should actually say, what happens if trust is declining during our session today? What can we do if, to, to improve trust? And please feel free to tell us if you feel that there's an issue with trustworthiness, you feel we're dishonest, or, or you feel that something is, is not being shared. So um, I created what I call a code of conduct, which is in the book, by the way, um, that is basically a code of conduct that we like to introduce to our, to our client's counterpart. Um, it's a small document, very easy. There's about 12 items on it, just saying um, how we want to conduct negotiation. And some of the items that we um, emphasize on that piece of paper is, for instance, we promise not to bluff and lie. And please tell us if you believe we do, and we expect the same from you. Um, we want to tell the truth. We want to be open. We want to share that. So we are basically promoting it in writing. That, that doesn't guarantee that people are honest. But what I can see from using this for years is that when you and I as human beings are being reminded about something, there's a tendency that we actually stick to that rule more than before, right? Um, not that I want to spend time talking religion really here, but religion is actually important because in religion we have the golden rule, at least in, 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 in the Christian world, um, but that goes in all major religions. Um, it's just not, not called the golden rule, but it's there. The golden rule is, if I should translate very quickly, only do to others what you like others to do to you. Going back in time, uh, religion was more important in most of the world than it is today. And whether you're religious is not really not really important right now, but uh, the religion, part of the purpose of the religion was to try and help people being more honest and ethical and moral. And one of the problems today is that we may not always have an ethical and moral guideline. So one of the things, I don't know about you uh, and your university, um, Remy, but what I see at university in the US is that a lot of business schools are reintroducing ethics and moral oh, back yeah. on the schedule because suddenly somebody realized, hey, ethics and moral is actually declining. And so is trust. It's actually declining. So we have to do something. I'm talking about this because our code of conduct is just a reminder. Hey, it's a good thing to be honest without being naive. It's a good thing not to lie. It's a good thing just to do something which in, 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 in the real world actually makes sense. But we just have a tendency to forget about it. And what I often find is if I ask negotiators if they ever lie in negotiation, um, I meet some people who says, yes, I do. And I meet even more that says, no, I'm never lying, but I'm bluffing. And then I get really curious, uh, Remy, because what is the big difference between lying and bluffing, really? I mean, you know, and people often say, well, I'm bluffing. I, I'm sitting with a supplier and then I'm telling the supplier that, that he or she has an alternative supplier that is 12% cheaper, even though there is, there is no alternative. And then I'm saying, that's not bluffing, that is lying, isn't it? You know, so it's, it's, it's a funny thing that outside negotiation, we call something a lie, but when we step into negotiation, we just rename it uh, to bluff and then it's kind of okay. And um, I had a mentor for many years who always told me, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you just said. Uh, so I'm not encouraging anybody to be naive but I'm encouraging everybody not to lie. I really don't believe in lying. So that's connected to, to trust as well, because what happens if you, if you catch your counterpart in lying? Trust is just removed completely, immediately. Um, so, yep, think, think about that. Really important chapter in the book. Yes, and it's detrimental um, to uh, the economics of the deal. 
or can be detrimental to the economics of the deal. Yeah, yeah. We uh, triggered another t- another uh, sens- sensible um, uh, topic, uh, which means uh, we got uh, a question from Tuzi. Um, um, maybe you could write us where you're from. It would be interesting uh, interesting to find out. What about negotiators who are meeting for the first time and have to arrive at a solution with a short within a short time, where there has been no prior opportunity to build trust? What mm-hmm. else? other than trust uh, should be glue holding the negotiation together? Great question. Yeah, I would go out for lunch as the first thing. Even though we have limited time, I would sit down and, and negotiate over a meal, dinner, lunch, breakfast, whatever. Uh, I would try purposely to talk about something else than the actual negotiation. I would reveal something about myself as a human being. I have three kids. I live right here. My wife is doing this. This is a picture of my family. I would invite the counterpart to do the same. Back to what I said at the beginning of this show, Remy, Negotiation is between human beings and people. If I have a relationship, I will trust you more. I will like you more. If you are just uh, the head negotiator of a big corporation, I have no relationship to you and I will definitely not trust you. I'm not trusting a company. I'm trusting an individual. So at limited time, I would shortcut that by creating that environment. And why Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you sit and negotiate over lunch? I mean, isn't that nice instead of just sitting in a boring conference room. So uh, that would be one of the ways just to shortcut creating trust. I'm not saying, by the way, it will always work because sometimes you just meet somebody you don't like. So then you fail, obviously. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for that, Kelt. Uh, uh, we are currently with um, with Felix, with my uh, doctoral student. Uh, we are working on ethically ambiguous strategies. As, uh, and one of the questions that we're asking ourselves right now is... Um, Um, how can we prevent them? How can we move others uh, or let's say inspire others to be ethical with us? Also, uh, assuming, of course, that we want to pursue, exa- do exactly what you, uh, what you described, meaning, you know, we want to build trust, we want to uh, be, tr- be, uh, be trustworthy, come across as trustworthy and so on, but we have no control of um, what the others would do to us. Yeah? So what are the, uh, from your perspective, from the top of your head, prevention strategy or protection strategies uh, uh, from unethical behavior? Mm, uh, That's a great question. I I was almost, uh, I I was close to saying, when when you figure it out, please, please let me know. Um, Because I'm very curious about that as well. It, It is, It is easier, still difficult, but easier to change ourselves, right? But changing other people is basically impossible, isn't it? So um, what can we do to try and make an impact? Well, back to what I said earlier, Um, I have found that the more we actually verbalize trust, relationship, ethics, moral, um, without without killing it with, wor- with, with words, if we actually verbalize it, put it down on the agenda, put it as part of the things we want to discuss, and we have something we call rules of the game. We have to agree on how to negotiate, as I said earlier. And the more we actually focus on it in there, uh, the higher we, we seem to be able to increase that part of it. Then we do something else. Uh, was it Lenin that back said that trust is good, but control is better? Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that with that statement. But one of the ways we can do it is that we sometimes build in a clause um, in the rule of uh, the engagement where we actually says that if the parties reach an agreement, they agree mutually to have um, uh, a, 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 an, an edit, uh, a, a supervision of their background. So you would actually send in a supervision in each organization just to check that all the data and information that was shared was the correct one. That obviously prevent people 
from lying and being unethical and presenting wrong numbers because they know if we're going to read an agreement, we are going to be checked afterwards. So um, it's a little bit more a rough way of, 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 of going to it. But for instance, we've been using that in major contracts and merger acquisitions very successfully. So it's just kind of a, a judge. You know, there will be a judge at one point that will go and check that whatever you said was actually correct. Com compared to um, European football, when you have the system now, what is it called? The VAR system where you have a recording yeah. and the judge can go and look at that. Basically the same thing in a, in a negotiation. All right. Yes. Uh, so um, Tuzi is from South Africa. I hope the, 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 this answer your question, answers your question. Thank you so much. Uh, and by the way, also to uh, all others, listeners and viewers right now on different platforms, you guys are more than welcome to share your questions in the chat. Uh, uh, we are very inclusive and uh, look forward to receiving them from you. One comes from Boston directly, from Sherman. Yeah. Um, so to fulfill promises uh, creates trust, one assumes. What does fulfilling a threat produce? <laughs> well, first and foremost, I will say if you have chosen to use a threat, you have to fulfill it. Uh, otherwise, it is translated into bluff immediately, right? Um, uh, everybody who got kids, I got kids. Uh, how many of you can actually uh, admit that you've been threatening your kids with something and they're not going through with it? Uh, I'm doing that way too often. I'm supposed to be an expert in this field, but I fail miserably with my own kids. So, you know, if you don't clean up, clean up the room, there'll be no ice cream, right? Uh, and then they don't clean up their room and for whatever reason, they end up getting an ice cream anyway. Um, you know, that is obviously a threat that is not working. Um, I'm, I'm doing terribly. I have to improve that myself, but that is the problem because the next time you deliver a threat and if you don't go through with that threat, obviously your counterpart will be sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 whatever. He said that last time as well. And that's not going to happen. So um, fulfilling a threat actually just prove your point that you did what you said you were going to do. And if you said you're going to do it and the counterpart is not responding to that threat, well, uh, you have to go through with it. Uh, otherwise you are putting yourself in a quite miserable uh, spot. All right. Uh, Sherman, all the best uh, back to Boston. Uh, thank you for your question. Um, let's move on with uh, difficult negotiations. Yes, that's mm -hmm. when they call us, right? That's when they write us emails, uh, you know, hey, uh, it's about to escalate. It's super complex. Uh, uh, we need help. We need support. Yeah? So there are, in my opinion, in my, in my experience, there are two uh, sources of com uh, complexity. One is... Um, or let's say difficulties in negotiation. One is substance, the other one is uh, relationship, uh, which is ruined. Yeah? So how do you, um, Kelt, question to you, how do you mend those negotiations? What do you do? Um, how do you reduce complexity? How do you help people uh, come to a yes when they are on the verge of uh, yelling no? Yeah. Well, it, 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 you actually pointed it out. It, it, it really depends. Is it, is it the substance? Is it the relationship? Is it the people? Um, what is the main issue? What, what is the issue at hand that they can't deal with? Um, if I should start just from one end, um, quite often I find it's people that's the problem. Um, not that they are incompetent or shouldn't be sitting there, but as I said a little bit earlier, sometimes we just meet somebody that we're not compatible with, right? So you're just meeting a counterpart that you don't like, they don't like you. That's just, you know, they say blue, you say yellow. So one, one point we often begin is actually replacing one or several parties in the negotiation. 
And what I sometimes do is actually stepping in. If, I, if I'm joining the negotiation myself on behalf of a client, I actually step in and says, uh, and I'm saying the following to the counterpart. You have to be very careful how you do it, though. But I might step in and say, with due respect of you, your team, and your organization, we do feel that person X in your team is standing in the way of the best possible out outcome, both for you and your counterpart. Um, so with due respect, we would kindly ask you to replace person X in your team. Uh, I can't stop right there because that's almost declaring a war, right? So I have to move on and then say, and by the way, if there's anybody in our team you would like to replace, please point to that person. Um, and then they might point to a person and that person have to step down. Could actually be me as well. Then I have to, 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 to step down. But quite often, I would say more that than you think it is actually a human issue. It's actually the people that kind find a way uh, to move on. And just sometimes by replacing the individuals, uh, you have a new person coming in and suddenly the whole game is just changing. Just back to European football again, um, just changing a player, not because he's necessarily tired, just replacing that player with another one could just change the whole energy in the game. So that that, that is one way of doing it. Another way I typically do it is actually looking at what variable are they focusing on right now? Are they focusing on what I call a zero-sum variable? A zero-sum variable is actually something, obviously, that doesn't create mutual value. Price, let's just pick that one. Price does not create any value. Uh, if I am a supplier to you, uh, Remy, and I increase my price, I'm winning, you're losing. If you are successful in making me decrease my price, I'm losing, you're winning. So price is a stupid variable to begin with at any point. I'm not saying you should negotiate it. I'm just saying you should negotiate it at the very end when you have talked about all other variables that may generate value. So quite often, besides the human thing I just talked about, we step in and look at variables. Is the order of the variables correct? Have we started with the wrong variables? Have we enough variables? Back to what I said earlier, we need to, uh, we actually start, need to negotiate on more variables as well. So that's a more technical issue where we step in and look at that immediately. And quite often, and there's no matching in this, quite often um, we can solve a lot of issues just by trying to expand that pie. You know, a uh, very simple approach, really. Well, simple and so powerful. Uh, thank you, Kel, for sharing it. Uh, <clears throat> and more towards the end of the book, um, you pick up uh, the topic of uh, Nego economics, which we've already discussed. Uh, but you also describe, um, I think, your trademark, yes? The mm. smartnership. Yeah. Mm. Uh, could you uh, tell us a little bit more about it, uh, what it means, uh, how to pursue it, uh, um, um, uh, raise the appetite for the uh, for for the concluding chapters of your book. yeah mm. smartnership is really partnership version 2.0 um and the reason that we have developed smartnership over the last 15 years is that i have too many times heard organizations when i ask them how do you negotiate well we we negotiating partnerships and then when you dive in and look at what they're really doing they're just doing long-term zero-sum so they're just repeatedly doing zero-sum with the same supplier uh, or the same client over and over again for 10 years. And when they've been doing it a long time, they call it partnership. And that's yes, that's not partnership. So um, back to the question about strategy. In our world, we have three levels of strategy choices. We have the zero sum, we have partnership, and we have smartnership. And smartnership is partnership added with negroeconomics, trust, uh, um, expansion of variables, and a clear strategy. So you can basically just add those four items to partnership and then you are in smartnership. So 
Sponsorship is really just focused on generating value because where I'm coming from, commercial negotiation, it's very different in hostage negotiation and political negotiation, but commercial negotiation is about one thing really only, and that is to uh, create value and distribute value. If you think about it, that's the reason organizations are negotiating with each other, to create value and distribute value. Um, so when you want to do that, back to what I said earlier, long term, then you have to move into smartnership. So, um, yeah, it, it's explained in detail what, what is into true smartnership. It sounds very easy and really it is. But then in reality, it becomes difficult because it requires that both parties know what to do, are prepared to do it and knows exactly what common mutual target they're working towards. Awesome. Thank you for a simple explanation of a complex topic. Let us spontaneously check the understanding or check the uh, frequency of smartnerships among our audience. If you guys believe that uh, you have someone in your personal um, network or professional network at work uh, um, um, that you are in a smartnership, in, why don't you hit the like button? Yeah? And give us some details in the comments. We'll pick the pick uh, pick up on them um, if time allows at the end. Uh, so hit the like button if you have a smartner. Is that is that a partner in a smartnership? Is that a smartner? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you have a smartner, hit the like button and tell us uh, who it is and how you've built this relationship. And in the meantime, uh, Kelt, uh, I'd love to um, ask you for an elevator pitch. <laughs> So who is this book for? Who should buy it? Uh, um, uh, and what will, what will they learn uh, from it? What, what is funny is that I sometimes meet people that come to me and say, well, negotiation is something that uh, people in a conference room in a company is doing. It's something diplomat is doing and it's something politicians are doing. Uh, so it's not for me. And then I'm normally saying uh, not quite so because you're right. Those groups you just explained are all negotiating, but are you having kids? Do you have a spouse? Do you have a boss? Do you have colleagues? Do you have a bank? Do you have a travel? Do you have a phone bill? Um, is there anything I just mentioned to you that you can relate to? And people obviously go, yes. Then I said, great, you are negotiating as well. Everybody is negotiating all the time. Um, through a very simple study, we identified that all of us, regardless what kind of job life we are in or whether we're not working or whether we're doing we have between eight to 10,000 negotiations per year. I just repeat that, eight to 10,000 negotiations per year. Those of you who have kids, just start counting when you woke up this morning. I woke up this morning, uh, I have two boys, and uh, the first negotiation was, I don't want to wear that shirt to school today. There you go, bingo, first negotiation. My wife uh, came up and she said, could you pick up the kids today? I said, I don't have time. I am, I'm in a meeting. It says, what do we have? Well, there you go. Negotiation number two. I promise you, before I left my family this morning, we've gone through perhaps 20 negotiations. And I have not even reached out to clients or, or done anything else at this point. So back to the question, who's the book for? Well, if you are breathing, it's for you because everybody is negotiating. Um, having said that, and obviously, if you try to um, reach everybody, you're reaching nobody. So the book is written uh, with a commercial uh, target in mind. So it is a little bit more commercial orientated than it is private negotiation orientated because we focus a lot on creating value. Um, but we try to, both McGraw-Hill as the publisher and I, we really try to make the book uh, live up to its title, Negotiation Essential. So it is really essentials. Um, whatever we, we need to do. Having said that, I just want to bring out a warning. Um, this book is not enough. I mean, uh, 
you, you can't sit down thinking, I need a book on negotiation, so I'm going to buy negotiation essentials. And well, I got everything I need. Absolutely not. You need to buy and read other books on negotiations. And, and the same thing goes for other books as well. I quite often meet people who say, well, I read Getting to Yes 18 years ago, so I'm done. And I said, God, you're stupid. I mean, you've just begun, right? Because first and foremost, it was 18 years ago. Secondly, it's just one book with one viewpoint. And no book on earth can cover everything around negotiation. And that goes for negotiation uh, essentials either. So, so it can highlight and pinpoint some new thoughts that we've been trying. But um, are we diving into body language? No, we're not. Are we diving into a lot of other aspects uh, that could be relevant? No, we, we, are, we are covering whatever we can cover in 280 pages. 180 pages it is. Thank you so much, Kelt, for um, uh, for this pitch. Uh, it sounds super exciting. Uh, um, um, the, is the book available already? No, it's, it's out uh, October 24th. Uh, but um, I would recommend if you have an interest that you pre-ordered, wherever you buy your books right now, because we know already that the first edition is going to sell out and then it's going to take a little bit of time before second edition is, is up and running. So um, please go and pre-order. Um, you can do that basically everywhere right now. All right, we got a couple, uh, couple of guys. Uh, please make sure that um, uh, you start looking for negotiation essentials by Kelt Janssen, and uh, you'll find out there. You'll find out so much more on strategy, trust, nego, uh, nego economics, uh, smartnership, and all the concepts that we uh, concepts that we've discussed. In the meantime, we've already gotten some more questions here in the chat. Wow. Um, uh, That's a highly interactive here, um, highly interactive episode. So here we go. Jihab uh, from Egypt. Uh, Kelt, wonderful. You keep mentioning commercial negotiations and you said that this is different than political and or social negotiations. In my experience, the details are different, but the human dynamics are pretty close. What are your thoughts? Completely agree. I mean, human dynamics are pretty close. Humans are humans, regardless what we are negotiating whether we are negotiating as part of a, a, a political treaty, whether we're sitting negotiating a big contract or whether we're negotiating with our kids. Um, the difference, as, as I would like to point out, is that some negotiations and types of, of negotiation are more irrational than others. If I should highlight one group, that would be political negotiations. Um, I tend to shy away from political negotiation because they are highly irrational. It is not necessarily the best possible outcome that the parties are looking for, They're looking for the outcome, and I'm generalizing, they're looking for the outcome that makes them look good uh, in front of the voters. Um, so I've been advising political parties. I've been advising uh, people in politics as well. And sometimes I just walk away shaking my head because it doesn't make sense. I mean, we have the best possible outcome right in front of us, but they they leave it because it doesn't look right. Um, so... Um, The big difference between commercial negotiation, uh, which is very tangible, is obviously the creation of value. Uh, do you want to create value with your kids and your spouse? Absolutely. But it may not be in dollars or euros. It could be a different kind of value. Um, so that is the big difference. But I com completely agree with the comment that humans are humans, regardless what negotiation environment we're sitting in. Great. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Shiab. I hope I hope it answers your, uh, your questions. We have a, an ongoing discussion about... Uh, negotiating with kids so i'm gonna we're gonna use your expertise here uh here um to um uh to resolve it or to uh, shed a new light on it uh, so Elaine <laughs> says never negotiate uh, with kids they are too uh, uh, combative uh, competitive um, then thomas uh, explains 
just turn it the other way around. Train the kids in negotiation skills. The negotiation at home will be really interesting. However, the teachers in your kids' school usually start <laughs> complaining that your kids are too demanding. <laughs> so, Kelt, what's your view on negotiating with kids? Well, <laughs> I, I actually agree with what Thomas is saying. And, and I'm, again, I, I'm, I'm biased, but I don't understand why schools isn't starting to teach kids to negotiate. Um, for many reasons. One of them is just uh, dealing with conflicts with other kids, dealing with conflicts with teachers, dealing with conflicts with parents. Um, it's a topic that uh, I think we should start learning uh, very early on. It's, 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 it's so important for our success in life in general. Um, how do we deal with kids then? Well, um, you know, when, when you have emotions involved in a negotiation, it's always become more complicated. So negotiating with your other own kids, as I said earlier, is more challenging than negotiating with somebody else's where you don't have the same emotional insight. Um, but no, in general, yes, you should train your kids. I love the comments from Thomas. You should train your kids in negotiation and you should negotiate with your kids. I, we, we, we try and challenge our kids to negotiate and I'm sure the teachers at their school are not happy about it, but they have to challenge things. Back to what I said earlier, when a teacher says, well, you have to read this chapter for next week, you should ask the question, why? You know, what's the purpose? What, what, why, what are we getting out of that? Could we do something else instead? And it, it's not a question about being a rebel or a terrorist. It's just, you know, you have to inquire. What is the reason? What is the background? What does it mean to you if I do this? You know, start negotiating all the time. You may be thrown out of school, but you'll learn to negotiate. <laughs> so parents out there, um, you have to weigh it out. Yes. Uh, what is more important to you to have uh, to have a kid who is uh, ready for the challenges of the future and the great negotiator or a kid that is able to finish uh, his or her education? <laughs> All right. Uh, there is a huge compliment uh, from Boston, from Sherman, uh, who runs um, uh, Blackpool University here. Another great episode. That's a compliment to you, Kel. Thank you for making it so great. Uh, thank you. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> it's still going on. Never negotiate <laughs> with toddlers. <laughs> All right, good. Um, almost last question. Let me see if we have uh, we have something uh, in a chat. Um, okay, that's that's a comment to a comment. Uh, uh, <clears throat> great negotiators, Kelt. I always finish my episodes uh, discussions with uh, with um, experienced honored guests uh, by uh, asking them to point towards the inspiration. Uh, mm. towards greatness that they've uh, either encountered or know about, read about, be it contemporary or historical. Uh, Kelt, who has it been uh, for you? It's actually the uh, the founder of the of the organization I'm heading today. It's a Swede by the name of Eva Und. Unfortunately, he's not uh, not among us anymore. He founded the whole concept and the organization in 1976 in Stockholm, in Sweden. He was actually called the father of negotiation in Scandinavia. And if you listen closely to the year 1976, that was way before the program on negotiation at Harvard started. Harvard actually reached out to him very early on to ask if he wanted to collaborate, but he wanted to build his own stuff in Scandinavia. So he was the one that inspired me and made me understand how important negotiation really was. What happened was I was the CEO of a public tech company in Stockholm, and we hired him as a negotiation consultant. And I'm not exaggerating my story here. In 120 minutes, he moved me from unconsciously incompetent in negotiation to be consciously incompetent, which is a terrible wake-up call because suddenly you realize that you, you, you don't know how to do what you thought you were good at. Um, and that made me realize that, my God, there's so many people out there we, we, we can help. 
that are doing it every day, but really don't know why. Some of them are good at it automatically, but a lot of them are not because they don't know what they don't know. Um, so that was back in 1998. So I would actually, um, he published a lot of books himself as well. Uh, I would actually name him as one of the biggest inspiration. He was a great negotiator himself as well. And really very early on before we started to have all these books on the market and develop a lot of theory, uh, he was very good at that. And think about it for a second. Um, the theory on negotiation is actually not that old. You know, the, the most known book of them all is actually getting to yes. And that was basically the kickoff for uh, a whole institution on um, doing theory on negotiation. So it's not really much older than back to the to, to, to the late 70s. Thank you so much, Kelt. Uh, we're getting some questions um, um, about how to spell this name. Uh, if you could help us, uh, Kelt. Sure. Eva, uh, I-W-A-R, that's his first name, Eva, and then his last name is Und, U-N-T. All right. I hope that helped, uh, guys, out there. Um, we're almost there, but let me first of all announce something that uh, I'm super, uh, um, uh, super grateful to you, Kelt. Uh, not only that you've uh, uh, shared your thoughts uh, or um, uh, opened a little bit of uh, opened up the, the the secret of your upcoming from your upcoming books, but also I would like to mention that uh, we will partner up <clears throat> in the organization of the negotiation challenge. Uh, uh, Kelt uh, will support us within one of the rounds. Uh, so you guys, uh, if you are inspired by him, so first of all, make sure that you pre-order his book, Negotiation Essentials. Yes. Uh, and then uh, make sure that you apply it. Uh, you read it and apply it in our competition. It's called The Negotiation Challenge. Uh, and, and you will find it, uh, more details you will find on our website, thenegotiationchallenge.org. Uh, um, that's the first thing I wanted to mention. Second thing is this is probably going to be the last episode with bold bearded men. Yes. <laughs> the previous one was also a very similar with Phil Brown. Phil, uh, hope you're doing well. Yes, a bold bearded men. Maybe we should uh, uh, maybe we should change the name of this podcast. So bold bearded <laughs> men on negotiation. <laughs> Kel, thank you so much for being with us. It's I've uh, early enjoyed, you, genuinely enjoyed our conversation. Uh, uh, guys, have a look, be on the lookout uh, um, for Kel's book. Uh, make sure you register before time runs out uh, for the negotiation challenge. And until the next time on the podcast on negotiation. Thank you so much. Thank you.